Oh, I gotta tell you this before we start that what my daughter did today. Really little, but we were getting her ready for school. So I get out four socks, two for me and two for her. And like, I let her pick the two she wanted. And then she put one on and she went to put the other one on. And she handed it back to me and she goes, too small and handed it to me. I literally almost fell off the bed. Kimmy, that's huge. Yeah. I was that I off the bed. Too small? Are you kidding me? And of course, Amazing. I tried to get her to do it again and she wouldn't. Try taking pictures of me put my socks on. Get out of my face. You got what I was <laughs> saying to you. Get me some other socks. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty tart and pleasantly bitter conversation. Thank you for taking a seat at the table. This is our new series. And as we're going into April, this is going to be all about autism. So obviously, we all have autistic children. We talk about autism a lot here on the podcast. But this month, we're going to address it more directly. So at the table tonight, I have Rachel Flanagan. Hey, everyone. Jen Dunn. Hello. Tabitha Cabrera. Hello. Kim McIsaac. And I am Jamie Ramos. Tonight, we're going to talk about the actual diagnosis processes that we went through. So this is kind of an episode for parents new to autism or seeking a diagnosis or nervous about the diagnostic process, or if you're one of our regular listeners, just to hear our different stories behind how we got to an autism diagnosis. So I'm going to kind of start. We have an episode in series one where we talk a little more about this and we'll probably overlap with some of the stuff but if you're curious more about our emotions about things more of the signs why we got the appointment and our feelings about that and some of that will definitely come up in this but if you also want to listen to that episode go check it out it's series one episode four autism diagnosis is the title thank you my son was behind in language and at first he wasn't really falling off the milestone markers or anything like that because he never had issues with motor development. He walked on time. He sat up on time, rolled over all those things. And they kept saying, well, that's fine. And I, we even got to a point at his 18 month appointment where he had lost a lot of language. And the pediatrician said to me, that happens pretty often and his motor development is great. So I'm not worried. So then I wasn't worried as a mom. And a lot of the time, that's how it was for me. I didn't want my kid to have autism. I didn't want my kid to have a developmental delay. So every time I was told things like that, I was like, okay, but then we got closer to two and we went to a new doctor and she saw some issues. First of all, me and my husband both had to bring him to the appointment. It was a hard appointment. And right there, in that appointment, she did the test on her computer and asked us questions. And we fell on the borderline of that test. And she said, let's take the next steps just also, to get Jane, you're in Colorado. Yeah, sorry to say where we are because it's so regionally different, right? Yes, yes, yes. I'm in Colorado. So she got us a referral to Child Find, which is part of our, um, like our community board, which is the entity that kind of helps with getting people resources and on waivers and Medicaid and all the things you need and helps get kids diagnosed and helps that transition into the school system. I didn't know that. I just thought this was naturally the next step. So she referred us to ChildFind. We go in there, we have two people, a speech pathologist and some woman that's over some type of special ed. I didn't exactly know that this was basically just for the school district. I thought this is where my doctor's referring me. So this must be like 
the steps towards a medical diagnosis. These people must be uber qualified. And I don't know what their qualifications were. They were very nice and helpful, but I didn't realize there was another path I could take. So anyway, we go to mm -hmm. them. They don't see anything up at two years old. And all this time, I think there was like a four month month wait before we actually could go see them. So they said at three, if you're still worried, they definitely said he was behind in his language. Otherwise they weren't too worried. They said at three, if you're still worried, call back. And when they did that initial like evaluation at two, they did have a representative from um, developmental pathways, which is our community board come in and they would have helped him since he was under three, they would have helped him get speech and other things if he had qualified for that. Um, and since the second time we went in, he was over three, that person didn't come. And then that goes, just goes straight into the school system. Cause then it's kind of like, you don't need early intervention. Cause you can get that through yeah, you get those resources through the school and the, our community boards are also how we get kind of on like waivers. And that's uh, where we eventually got on waivers and stuff to assist you in getting resources and paying for things. Um, and really it's a Medicaid waiver, which is yes. like an insurance waiver that says, because your child has a disability that is lifelong and will need lifelong care, you can get on Medicaid, no matter what your financial qualifications are. Basically. Ours were like based off of In Jesse. Years. Anyway, I call back at three because his language still wasn't there where it should be. Mm -hmm. It was actually about the same. There was a couple things that had changed. We go back, we just meet with the same speech pathologist. He can't even get my son, Jesse to sit, to interact. He also showed him a picture of a hanger and asked what that was. I'm not even going to talk because what two-year-old knows what a hanger is anyway. <laughs> so he's like, I think we need to bring him back with the whole team and get him looked at. And I was like, this is what I asked about a year ago. And all of a sudden, Okay, so we go back with the team that gets us to a school diagnosis, which was still kind of weird. They kept reminding me in that situation that I could seek a medical diagnosis. So they did the, an observation. We came back, they did the ADOS, and then they, he technically did not test onto the spectrum through the ADOS they did, but he was borderline so they could basically push him on, which they did so we could get resources for him. I didn't seek an autism diagnosis until we got him into preschool and his special education teacher in preschool was like, this is autism, which I don't think she was supposed to say that to me, but I'm very grateful she did because I it was an inner battle with me. I wasn't sure if I wanted a diagnosis. I mean, I wasn't sure if he was autistic. I was hoping he wasn't. And so that's when we went back to his doctor and we asked the next steps to get a medical diagnosis. When I did that, I sent an email to the doctor, which was actually answered by the nurse. She sent me a list of places you could get diagnosed. She recommended children's, but the wait list was like a year. So I kind of didn't do anything in that moment because I was still having that inner battle and I feel awful about it to this day, but I didn't immediately go seek a diagnosis. I waited a little bit and then we went to actually meet with the doctor and I just said, the wait lists are so long and blah, blah. And she's like, oh, well, there's actually other options. I didn't realize this whole time without even my doctor's referral, really, I could have gone to a child psychologist. And by the time we finally got to the child psychologist, my son was nearly five years old. We did that. They were like, yeah, we wish people would get diagnosed earlier. Your son clearly has autism. That process was very interesting to me. I feel like I went through the 1-800-get-a-diagnosis <laughs> hotline. I set up with this lady on the phone. She was very nice. 
she kind of asked me some questions to make sure that we were going on that path. She was like their secretary. And then she's like, okay, we'll have a doctor call you. We have a doctor call me and my husband. And she was like in training. We had to be on the phone with her for like a couple hours going through all these questions that they had pre-sent us that we had already filled out in forms, pretty much the exact same questions, which was very frustrating. I do appreciate that they take the parents' input, but then we went in and she does all within like a three-hour span. We're in this place. They like weren't, this wasn't their permanent offices. You know how you can like rent offices? Yeah. That's what this was. So other people were renting offices in this space. So my little kid who is autistic and hyperactive is running around. He has to sit in this room, which is like has adult chairs, Mm. the toys and stuff she brought for the ADOS testing were in a suitcase. Like it was just weird. It was a small space. I was like, of course he's not going to do great for you. So I don't want to play with your in a suitcase either. Exactly. (laughs) And so so he was almost fine. They did the fine testing, which is basically like IQ and the ADOS all at once. So they did the vine testing that took forever. They're trying to get him to do puzzles. They're trying to get him to mimic the block patterns they're doing the whole time. I'm trying to sit in my hands because you're not supposed to help them. I was nervous the whole time. My son did actually good for where he was at. And then they give you a little break. We go back in and they do the ADOS, which is the test they do to test if your child's on the spectrum. So we finished that all out. Her supervisor over her, he's been in the next room and she like gives him all the notes and blah, blah. And we had basically told him this whole time that we are pretty sure he's on the spectrum. When we leave that appointment, I'm just like nervous and sad this whole time and just it's just one of the most uncomfortable moments in my life. They're like, yeah, he's, we're pretty sure he's on the spectrum. We're just, we just basically have to finish like filling in all the score sheets and everything to see where he's at. And that was it. Like, I felt like there should have been like more observation. I felt like they didn't know who my son was outside of being in this tiny room for adults. We got the information basically over a Zoom meeting, the diagnosis. We could have gone in, but we opted for, which I'm glad because I just, bald right after at the end of that call the zoom call where they told us he was autistic they gave him a level three diagnosis they also gave him a company language impairment and intellectual disability and then that was kind of it I was like well do we follow up with you I thought maybe these this would be his child psychologist and they're like no we just diagnose you can call us if you have any questions or anything like that or if you need like a doctor to talk to us and then they were like our secretary she'll send you a list of resources I never got that list. I even emailed her asking for that list. I literally got emailed the packet with like the Vine results, the diagnosis, and that was it. I did not get anything else. No references where to go. I eventually got some kind of information from my doctor that seemed really outdated, but that was kind of it. We were told to do ABA. That's what they recommended. And that was how we got the diagnosis. So it begins. Looking back, I wish I would have known that I could have immediately gone to a child psychologist that... Mm -hmm. Children's wasn't my only option, which I'm sure they're great, but here in Colorado, the waiting list is insane. Mm -hmm. And that could have improved in the last few years, but I'm guessing not because of COVID. I wish the doctor would have just said when he had that speech regression at 18 months, I wish he would have just at that point had us go get looked at just even, even if the same thing had happened and they weren't too concerned. I just wish that like me having the courage to speak up and say something, because I get really nervous in those moments Mm -hmm. would have like helped me. I I wish um, 
in the moments that you're immediately told that your child might be on the spectrum that you are referred to other parents mm-hmm. immediately mm-hmm. immediately and not just professionals and I will say from like we had two different pediatricians in between this time one seemed to know more than the other the one who actually made us do that test and had us go um and I just wish that the pediatricians would have known more about the process I wish I would have been told that I am first was being sent in to basically get an educational diagnosis and not a medical diagnosis. Right. There's a lot of things that I'm like, I just wish I would have known. I honestly don't know if where I was mentally at that point, I would have been receptive to that, but I wish I would have known. And then I could have done with that knowledge what I could have. How about you, Tabitha? So Nixon had a similar kind of track to Jesse as far as his like main indicator for autism was language delay and he was in early intervention we got referred to early intervention by his pediatrician and she was great kept addressing our concerns about his speech and his language she also referred us to audiology to get his ears checked which we did he has no hearing problems but she kind of referred us just as like a let's just refer him and see what happens type of thing like she didn't make it seem like there was like a lot of concerns I mean he had the same thing as Jesse where we would take him to the appointments and he'd be climbing in the cabinets and running around the waiting room and you know like had to bring 47 snacks to yeah. get him to like sit down and a whole packet of thing a stroller it, it was quite the extravaganza of medical appointments. So she referred us to Children's here too, Phoenix Children's Hospital for a developmental pediatrician assessment. And it was the same as Jesse, where it took us over a year to get into the developmental pediatrician. I did not know we could take him to a psychologist to get him diagnosed. I wish I did know that because I was literally calling those people every freaking week to see if they had an appointment. They told me we could not get on the cancellation list until we were actually had our own appointment. I'm like, okay, but you won't schedule me appointment. So how am I supposed to get on your cancellation list? Anyways, I may or may not have cried slash yelled at many appointment schedulers at the Phoenix Children's Hospital. I'm sorry mm-hmm. for that. And once we did get our appointment, we went to see a developmental pediatrician first. She had us fill out a bunch of paperwork, met with us met with him. Then we had to come back for another appointment to see a psychologist who actually did the ADOS testing on him as well as IQ testing, but he was too young for them to like really make any formal IQ testing. And then we came back for a third appointment where they actually gave us his autism diagnosis. The first appointment with a developmental pediatrician, she gave us an at-risk for autism diagnosis Mm -hmm. for him before they had done the ADOS testing. But in Arizona, it's the same situation where you can go to the school and they have special education qualifications for preschool, which doesn't really have an autism Mm-hmm. umbrella it's a developmental delay slash slash t speech slash ot and he was in a montessori program at the time so we didn't even like we didn't get referred to the school system until he was aging out of uh early intervention and early intervention was the first one to say you have to take him for an evaluation at the school um and i was like what why would we do that i don't want to do that <laughs> Uh, we, but we did it and he qualified for special education, but I did not know anything. I did not know that you could go to a psychologist. To, I could have got his autism diagnosis a year 
earlier if I would have known that we could have gone to someone else. No one said that to me. No one formally came out and said they thought he had autism. I asked numerous people numerous times, including early intervention, his speech therapist. I mean, any person under the sun that was seeing him, I was like, hey, what do you think about this? <laughs> like I did all the checklists and I was like you, Jamie, where I did not want him to have a lifelong diagnosis at three years old. Yeah. And I feel guilty about that. I did not want him to carry a label. I'm like, how can they know this is autism at this age? How are you going to test him when he doesn't even have verbal language? He never fit the token markers for autism from what I understood of autism. Obviously, I know now that he did have a variety yeah. of- Which I learned through parents. Yes. Parents. yes, but it's not on the checklist. Like my son did not do a lot of the things that they ask you. And I was like, well, no, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do any of those things, but he does do a lot of things that are common to kids who are autistic. Like, you know, I, I have a whole feeling on the checklist situation, <laughs> like who made this thing? Because it's not really great. And the way they ask you the questions is not great. Does your child spin toys? Why don't you ask me if my child looks at toys up close to their face? Yeah. Or, you know, examines everything in a manner that is like hyper -focused. Why don't you show me a picture of any one of our children with sand in their hand? And then I'll yes. tell you if we talk do that Talk about the here. sand. Yeah. <laughs> don't talk about spinning of the wheels. Uh, is there anyway. a magnetic draw to water? Yes. And wood chips. Yes. So that was Nixon's diagnosis. And then Nora's diagnosis. Thank God I had learned more because she's a girl and she hit every milestone on time including talking and then she went silent at around 18 months completely lost all of her verbal language and the experience was completely different because we went to a psychologist who I found out we could go to instead of the we're still on the wait list for the developmental pediatrician people she was diagnosed in December of 2020 <laughs> we still don't have an appointment with the Phoenix Children's Hospital just throwing that out there. But we went to a psychologist. This guy was like, you could tell he had been doing this for 25 years. He talked to me about his experience. He found out I was a lawyer. So then he was talking to me about how he testifies in cases and things. And he blew through that ADOS testing with her and explained every freaking step to me, which did not happen in my first experience with my son. I'm like, why are people not talking to the parents about what they're testing for, what's going on in that room? We're just sitting yep. there as they're playing with toys. And like, I was redirecting Nixon with like my work badge and like all these kind of things. And he's like, oh, you're really practiced at this. Like, maybe you should talk to me about what you're actually doing and testing for. I will say with our psychologists, they actually were pretty good about explaining things, but it was kind of in a medical way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I did not know what the heck they were doing in Nixon's evaluation. So anyway, he walked through the whole thing from me with me. He also asked me if I agreed with his assessment of her That's skills. Nice question, hey? Yeah, because he only got to see her for one hour. And he yeah. was like, in this environment, in this room, she's unfamiliar with, I see this. Do you also see this outside of the home when she's un in unfamiliar environments or when she's overstimulated by smells or the, she was obsessed with the blinds in the room and she kept going back to the blinds. 
to like look out them and hear what the sound that they were making and stuff. I found that was really like comforting. But we are the same as you, Jamie, in the process with Nixon that I did not know anything about anything. And I just waited for people to tell me what to do. Yeah. And there was no resources to find out any different until I started hitting up parents groups and learning more and meeting other people. So with Nora, they did not do the IQ testing with her. They just did the, uh, she was only two. Yeah. They all um, do yeah. So she was um, too young, but with Nixon, they gave me a hundred page binder with, um, I will tell you no resources in it. It was just information about autism and like the we background don't know what to of tell autism. You and we're not going to help you with anything. So here's a binder. I mean, there was probably like some kind of form list in the back that didn't explain anything about anything. And then I would, I went to the websites to see if I could find out what they were for and who knows. And we also got recommended to speech OT and ABA for both of our kids, um, basically. So different diagnosis experiences because I knew more with my daughter. And so I was like, you guys aren't messing around with me. Like what's the quickest way for me to get her in the right place. So you guys can tell me yes or no, and get her the resources. Because here in Arizona, you can't get outside of the school system, you can't get resources until you get them DDD and Arizona long-term care. Two separate applications for anyone in Arizona who's listening. DDD, you have to apply for first, and um, Arizona long-term care, which is the insurance portion, which actually gets you the services. What does that stand for, Tabitha? Developmental disabilities division so it's the division that decides if your child has a disability and you have to meet with someone they do an interview of you and questions yeah and they make sure you qualify financially which really is not your financial qualifications it's your child's financial qualifications so if your kid has less than two thousand dollars then they qualify for DDD. And then Arizona long-term care, you go, someone interviews you and you go through all the questions about what they can and cannot do. And you feel like you should say yes to some of the things that they can do, but then it counts as not a point for them needing services basically. So if you, is, is this to get your services covered? Yeah. To yeah. Get- well, if you don't have private insurance. Okay. So like for us, we have private insurance. And so our services run through our private insurance first. And then second, they run through as our secondary insurance, um, Arizona long-term care. Picks but if up. you were willing to pay what your insurance doesn't yeah. cover, you don't have to do the long-term care. You don't, but okay. in That's Arizona, crazy. like if you get your child on Arizona long-term care, there's a point system of before three and there's a point system after three and they have to requalify at six years old. If they requalify at six years old, then you are on Arizona long-term care until they age out at 18 okay. or after whenever they leave the school system. But I didn't know you can submit both applications, DDD and Arizona long-term care at the same time because it speeds up the process because you have to wait for those interviews to be scheduled. You have to wait. There are two separate departments that do the stuff. I submitted all of my paperwork of the kid's diagnosis, everything ahead of time. You know how crazy I am about that. Mm-hmm. And the guy who came for Nixon's interview, he's like, I've never seen anyone get Arizona long-term care that this fast. 
And I'm like, yes. well, we don't mess around over here. <laughs> like, <laughs> Sir, schedule your appointment because we're not messing around with waiting for services that my kids need because I was just on a wait list for a year to get yeah. his diagnosis. So whatever the fastest road is, let's do it. So anyway. And they bank on people not knowing. Yep. They absolutely yes. do. And no one, it, we've talked about this before. It's like, everyone holds information to themselves. Like there's this thing where no one wants to give you the answers unless you know the questions to ask. And how would you know the questions to ask if you haven't been through the process before? Like if I would have known to ask, is there any other place that my child can get an ADOS evaluation? Maybe I would have known we could have gone somewhere else instead of waiting in it that whole time. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Rach, do you want to go? Sure. Celie's diagnosis story is similar to the boys in the sense of our first diagnosis, where you don't know where you're going, you trust the people. Our family is a little bit different. I feel we were, our process was a bit stunted because we had lots of transition. And so Celie was adopted and we had a pediatrician until she was around 18 or so months. And then after that first pediatrician, we were with another for like another year or two. And then that's the doctor that sort of had the come to Jesus moment with me at the end of her four-year well check. She's the one that said, we need to discuss how Celie's severely neuroatypical. And I was like, great. What the f- is that? Like, <laughs> I was like, sure, whatever. Is that what this busy thing is? Like what's happening? Celia had looked up the woman's dress during that doctor appointment. Like she was all the frick over the place. It was everywhere. So That's like, girl. yes, yeah. we were past bedside manner. We were like, oh, briefs, you know, <laughs> she then referred, she told me like we were in rural Wisconsin at the time. And she said, you know, your best resources are going to go to the twin cities. You'll find children's hospital this other clinic that's kind of well-known for diagnostics and services and stuff. Therapies is what I mean. Or you can go to the university of Minnesota. And so I picked whichever one I did. They didn't call me back. The lady from the center called back or answered the phone, whatever it was. It was like quick. At that point, I knew that Celie's biological siblings had ADHD, autism, schizophrenia, bipolar, like there was lots of things going on, but that all of them had a learning disability in conjunction with some neuro difference, neuro atypical difference. Anyhow, then like you guys have said, there was this point where you're supposed to go to a room for this one appointment. They talk to the parents, they bring in the other people, they take Sealy, blah, blah. And then you come back for a second or third because we were coming from rural Wisconsin. They put the first two appointments together And said, based on those two appointments, we would connect with you about the results over the phone. Well, by the end of that appointment, they were ready to to like call a spade a spade. We were talking about autism, ADHD, sensory processing disorder is what's happening to your daughter. It is not quirks. Like you guys have gotten your way through all this, but this is like a constellation of things together is a big thing. Like you've got a big thing going on here. And, you know, up until that point, I swear to God, and maybe even once I started getting to know you guys and talking about this process, I didn't even, I'm a first time mom. 
I didn't give birth to my daughter. So maybe you guys learned this during your pregnancies. I don't know, but it never God dang occurred to me that when I check no on something that she can or cannot do, that that was a red flag. I didn't even realize that when people ask you questions that I did flagging your shit right then and there, I had no idea. I had a doctor in the beginning where there was a couple things, which I think all kids that he couldn't do yet. Or, and she even said to me, she's like, oh, it's okay if they miss some. Yeah. Fine. And so that was stuck in my head. So when I did like the three or the two-year-old one where he missed a bunch, I was like, well, it's not too bad. Apparently it was. I didn't, I didn't know that was like, this is a test. And with people, it it would be like, she can't recognize faces, but every time somebody comes into a room, she acknowledges them. So she's got a less than four to six month mark with not being able to look at your face or not getting any Fs. But every time she walks into a room, which is a seven to nine month milestone, she startles. Well, startling is different than noticing. And so like, I didn't know that the way I was answering was dictating her. I mean, all of this, that all those questions are the gateway to goddamn something. I had no idea. I didn't know. And so like when she would be wildly above and, and a few below and whatever, I thought like, oh, that comes out in the wash. Everybody's different. We just do individual pathways here. No, <laughs> Rachel. And if we had stayed with a doctor further than those few appointments each time, just because of her age, you know, not because we were like avoiding, I always feel like that next appointment, they would have been like, what the frick is going on here? Like you could well, have I, seen yeah. so much about her that. Well, and I feel like what you're saying I'm sorry to interrupt you, Rachel, but I feel like what you're saying about those checklists and this might just be a Tabitha problem, but I always, I like panic and I don't know how to answer those questions. I'm like, what do you mean? And this might be my analytical mind when it's like, you know, can touch their hand to their nose or that's not a real question. But if that were the question, I'd be like, what do you mean? Like in the morning when they're washing their face or at night? when we're laying down or but bed. like and also things it's like can your child put a cheerio in a jar yeah and it's like i've never tried, tried to have my child put a cheerio in a jar and you're giving me this test during while i'm waiting for the appointment was i supposed to bring a jar and a cheerio like to me it's like oh these are kind of like oh yeah like arbitrary things yeah. i just didn't know so when they finally like said celie has autism adhd you know really try and understand the sensory stuff she's a sensory seeker we feel like she's probably pretty sensory sensitive too so like you know just watch it and we we didn't know i was trying to articulate now we know without my daughter's later diagnosis that this makes a little bit more sense but i was trying to articulate that it isn't even about burnout she can do something, then she cannot do something. She can this, she cannot that. And with Celie's comorbid diagnosis, all that stuff makes sense. But I do believe that parts of that were probably holding people back from saying autism or from saying, you know, in Celie's case, she has another spectrum disorder that has lots of carried over, you know, characteristic characteristics. She has fetal alcohol syndrome. There's a lot in common. And so I don't know. I just, I feel what is important for you to understand if you're a mom with a hunch is to listen. I would just tell people don't trust that anybody has your kids well-being in mind. We've been to premier autism places that did not care to understand my daughter or that she did not fit into their stuff. And in fact, in age seven, so we're three years in, 
we've been to more places that didn't understand my daughter or then have. So I feel like trust your gut, but keep fighting. And, you know, to Tabitha's point and to Jamie's, there are so many components to these things, you know, whether the school is supporting this or the doctors are supporting this or what your goal is. Do you want medication? Well, then you need to not be dealing with the school diagnosis. You need a doctor, you know, like nobody tells you how to do it or what lane, like, and once you pick a lane, you're so dead in that track that you don't even know that there's other tracks. Like Jamie said, she could have gone to the strip mall of 1-800-AUTISM and yet she's still waiting here in month 29 of a wait list going the way that some dink told her to go, you know? And meanwhile, you're hearing early intervention is key. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, the months ah, tick by, I could kill you. Don't make my kid wait and also be telling me to hurry up. I'll <laughs> yes. Kill you. Anyways, what I want people to understand, even with autism diagnosis, my family lives in Minnesota. My daughter has a waiver, which in Minnesota gives her a sum of money to supplement the things that she cannot do. So the points go against her. If she can't wipe the points come against her, if she can't be safe here or there, like, you know, there's this whole criteria in that kind of way. If you know, you're trying to get your kids something, you're only trying to get that for them because you have a need. The answer to those questions are yes or no. Like you do not give more. You do not say sometimes you yes or no. If my daughter can wipe herself to go to the bathroom in the morning, and yet she's the kid that has to be carried to the bathroom and I need to wipe her and like help her legs open so that she knows what I'm doing. Then I say, no, she cannot go to the bathroom by herself. That will get her help. And so Minnesota has this waiver this money is there to pay for things that are adaptive paid parent, which I get. Um, we have house cleaning in that service. Cause I'm spending my time, not momming and caregiving when I could be running my house or whatever. So there's like the supplemental dollars that's only based on a medical autism diagnosis here yeah. and all of the qualifiers she's on ABA that's their own set of questions. Every company has their own set. They're trying to say whether your kid is level one, two, or three, whether they talk about it or not, so that they can say they can take on your kid or not. Mm -hmm. We have a children's mental health caseworker. That's only because she has anxiety and depression at the beginning. And now a bipolar diagnosis, that comorbid diagnosis has changed our ability to get respite, to get into places like Mayo, to streamline our, all the spokes coming in all the different directions. That's where we're at. But without each level, we wouldn't have access to any of this stuff. And she had to do the state medical review team, like tab said, and be deemed disabled, get into medical assistance here to have any of these doors open. And nobody told me that at her four-year well check things that I did to accomplish the fastest turnaround in Minnesota medical assistance timeline is I said the words baby casket a lot. If I didn't feel like somebody was listening to me, I would say, have you ever seen a small casket? I just want to let you know that my daughter could drown. Well, this paperwork is on your desk. And if you don't manage it, like, please, please know that that's on you. I used to say things like, um, oh, I understand that you don't have a wait list. I'll bring a tent and put that on the front lawn. 
And then when they left, I wouldn't. If you don't prefer the tent, I could call you every morning at 9.06 so that you can answer the first voicemails and then be ready for my cancellation call. Like, I just don't stop because while Judy only has a stupid small part in this, a lot is hinging on it. I didn't know any of that before I had to know all of that. Yeah, so much learning and so much feelings about like, you're not doing enough fast enough. And it's trust, you trust these a-holes that only tell you about their track. And you don't have any control over any of that. You just Mm -hmm. have to like be on the wait list and wait for the appointments and everything else to occur. What about you, Jen? Well, I'm in Canada, so mine's, uh, I want to say, gravely different than yours and yet not. To my knowledge, nothing that I experienced, I can only speak for us. There isn't a school diagnosis, like an educational one and a medical one. There's only a medical one. In fact, the school won't even say the word, touch it. It's, you have to have that medical diagnosis. So Kaya didn't, didn't speak, which was, she did all her markers. I mean, she walked at 12 months and all that kind of stuff, but she wasn't eating and she wasn't talking. And so that was a big flag for me. A lot of times I was brushed off, like she'll, you know, whatever, whatever. I, like all of you did not want the diagnosis on any level, but I was just sick to my stomach every day. I woke up with this sinking feeling and I went to bed with a sinking feeling and I knew something was um, happening with my daughter. And so um, finally her pediatrician said, well, she doesn't have great eye contact. And I was like, that's what you're noticing. The kid doesn't say a word. She's two and a half. doesn't talk. There's no babble. There's no mama. There was nothing. Um, I also am a liar because I, I see on my Facebook memory posts where I'd be like, oh, she, oh, my baby said mama and dada too. No, she didn't. Oh my those gosh. All lies on those, all the early I, years were I lies. I lied through hope too. Yeah. And uh, so I, as well, I would, um, I actually talked the, uh, so in, in Canada, you go, th- um, in, I'm in Vancouver, there's a uh, Sunny Hill Hospital, which is an extension of children's, which is the main diagnosing hospital. I always say I and I got into uh, before the boom hit, which was 2012. Uh, now you can't get in to see anybody, even if you pay privately, you're on a year and a half wait list, two years, just private to pay yourself to get the diagnosis. So we went to Sunny Hill and actually the psychologist that diagnosed Kaya, Kaya was her last case. And so I kept hearing from everyone, well, you want the diagnosis, you know, get the diagnosis, at least get her in, you know, you'll get the funding, you'll get her in the therapies. Um, I, I remember saying, I don't care about the freaking funding. I don't want my kid to have autism. And that's, that's the truth. That was where I was at in that time, being, you know, scared of it. So they typically keep them for, are you going for two days? And they do the ADOS and they do all those things. She sees a speech therapist, et cetera. Um, they actually brought Kaya back a third day. She's a girl. Mm-hmm. She's a girl. They present very differently. Kaya didn't have a lot of check marks when they sat there and did things. Yet, if I'd fill it out, it would, you know, I'd always try to fib so I didn't hit that red line of the numbers or whatever. Um, they brought her back a third day. When we left the second day, the, the lady said, and I said, do, do you think she's autistic? And she said, I do. I do, but I want to bring her back another day and do some more tests. So long story short, we um, brought her back the third day and she was diagnosed. They handed me a red binder. Um, It's a RASP list, which is uh, government approved therapies that are paid through the funding. And they sent me on on my way. I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't even know what autism was. I mean, I was so overwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. In all honesty, I called it the A word for a good year and a half. I couldn't even bring myself to say autism. 
I wouldn't even say the word. So I left there and I didn't have any guidance or it was here's a binder and go get her into some early intervention. You know, that was that was really it. It's pretty cut and dry here. We don't have to. And and I'm very thankful, not not, not for what you ladies went through, but we don't have those hoops to go through. Once you finally get in to see somebody, which again can be a couple of years, which is agonizing because all these so-called professionals pound their chests about early intervention. We can't get your kid into early intervention if you if you tried any harder, even if you wanted to pay privately. I mean, the wait list is so extensive. And, and that was it. She was diagnosed and we were sent on our way. It's pretty cut and dry here. Mm. And it was her pediatrician. The pediatrician has to write the referral. And, and she did after a certain amount of time. Well, and it's really like, like here, early intervention, what they call early intervention drops off at three years old. So if you don't get your kid, if you don't get your, and that's a federal program. And so it goes birth to three Mm -hmm. in most states. And so if you don't get a diagnosis by the time you're three years old, then it, it does get pushed to the school system. So in, yeah, so in Vancouver, well, in British Columbia, and I can just speak for my province, every province in Canada, some of the U.S. listeners, that's like states. It's different province to province. Um, we live in a great province for this. Any child doesn't, your income, it's got nothing to do with your income. So any child under six automatically gets a $22,000 grant. For people outside our world, you think that's a lot of money? I can assure you, it is not. <laughs> but you know what? I'm, I'm very thankful for it. It's better than not getting anything. Mm-hmm. So you get $22,000 when the child turns six, it's reduced to 6,000. And you know that that 6,000 is about two months of a, a certain type of therapy. I mean, it's not a lot of money, but yeah. again, it's better than nothing. Those programs are now changing um, in Canada. There will be no more autism funding uh, per se. They're looping it in with other disabilities like Down syndrome who um, gets nothing. So they're going to make it a little bit more universal, which I think is fantastic for all disabilities, but they're, they're changing how the program works. So that's how it currently works here. But again, it changes province to province mm. on what your child receives. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's kind of like us with our states, like each yeah. state has yeah. different programs, waivers versus state run programs versus whatever else. Yeah. It was, it was pretty cut and dry as long you just get that referral. And then again, you just kind of sit in la la land waiting. Yeah. It's just actually getting in to see somebody. And it's a psychologist that does a diagnosis. And this lady, it was her, I was her last patient before she retired. But, and while you're sitting there, the, the whole time people keep shoving early intervention down your throat, yeah. which is, which Rach mentioned. So you feel guilty yeah. the whole time you're not getting that early intervention, yeah. but you can't, yeah. which is hilarious. Uh, what about you, Kimmy? So obviously hers was a long time ago, so it's a little bit different now, but essentially it's similar. So we brought concerns to our pediatrician. You know, she kind of stopped responding to her name, which we know is a classic autism sign, but it wasn't known then. I And it was like the pediatrician, I don't think really knew. Everything that people thought about autism would be like very, very, even though she's severe, but like way, way more severe than what she was. So like not this cute little cuddly little girl who was sitting on somebody's lap, who was Mm -hmm. smiling, who was, that's just not, even the pediatrician, I don't think had, it's still kind of what they were thinking in seeing her, it wasn't the same thing. So we ruled out hearing at first. She had so many signs now, like that are very common now. Like you were talking about the spinning, Tabitha, she spun everything, any toy, 
a truck, wheels. It could be a water bottle. It, it didn't matter. It, she, I have a video of her throwing a clock, like one of those um, clocks that you would have by your bedside that like the wind up ones. Mm -hmm. And she would throw it across like down the hall and made this god awful sound, but, but it spun. So and everything would spin. But like at the time I wasn't thinking, wow, there's something wrong. She's spinning toys. I didn't really think that much of it. She would bang in the cabinets. You know, there was all these things that we know now are signs. I don't think we're as like commonly known then, but every time we went to the pediatrician, it was like, she wasn't talking. She did start saying words around like 11 months, like simple words. Like she said, da da, baba. She said, um, brabba, you know, like she had like five or six words, but they kind of stalled. And she didn't gain any more words. And I wasn't sure if she could understand. It would be like, sometimes it seemed like she did. And sometimes it seemed like she didn't. But the doctor kept saying, oh, she's a second child. She's a, she's a second child. You can't compare to the first child. My son was very advanced when it came to like talking and all that stuff. Because he was the first. He was the first grandchild. He was our first. So he got lots and lots of attention. But you know, and you got, you just know. Like we just knew that there was something. And then they were like, we'll just wait till she's two. And then finally, my husband was like, no, like, we're not, why are we waiting till she's two? Like, if there's something going on, I, we want to know now. So I went back to the doctors and I was like, we, and this is a thing, this is a piece, if I can give anybody any advice is sometimes you have to tell a doctor something. You can't always ask because sometimes when you ask, you can be told no. It's a lot harder to tell somebody no when they're telling you something. So I flat out said, we want that early intervention referral now. We don't want to wait till she's two. I mean, she was 20 months. It was only four months away at that time. But then you have to get an appointment. You have to wait for someone to come out, come out to the house to determine if you're eligible for early intervention. Then from there, you have to wait for the service to start. So like, even though it doesn't seem that far away, like you're talking about another six or seven months before you get someone in the house to start working with her. So I said, you know, we, we don't want to wait. We want to get the referral now. And she said, okay, and did the referral. I was young, but like I was around kids my whole life. So like part of me didn't think necessarily I autism, I mean, wasn't even on my radar. I didn't even really know very much about that, except for basically Rain Man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which obviously she wasn't Rain Man. So we went ahead and got the early intervention referral. We had someone come to the house. They, you know, she qualified for services obviously because she was you know come upon to and she didn't have speech and as the months rolled more and more stuff was coming up you know more behaviors more you know she started headbanging more tantrums more kind of red flags were coming as time went on but still even the people that worked with her were like it was a question of autism but they were like yeah we don't think she has it she's so social you know just all these things and that's plus social a girl. thing I if you know. have a girl on the spectrum don't be told so i was told that she had sensory integration which is basically like sensory processing disorder and it really explained a lot of her symptoms well, to me a lot of her i was like okay yeah that makes sense it makes sense she can't process she doesn't process pain she doesn't process temperature the same she had this craving for she had a bounce and she had a you know, just like with the sand and she'd put everything in her mouth and all these things that like, I mean, to me, it kind of explained it all. When I looked up autism, I was like, oh, no, she does not have that because the description at that time was not what it is now. So it was like, <laughs> I was like, uh-uh, nope. <laughs> so we got the referral to the developmental pediatrician, which I talked about this in the early episode. So it was a nine month wait to get an appointment and there was a cancellation. So we got to, we had only had to wait like three months from then. So we brought her in we went to Boston I think 
for us, it was lucky that we went into Boston to Children's Hospital. I think if we went the psychologist route that you guys are talking about, she probably wouldn't have gotten a diagnosis because they just, they're just not as knowledgeable. Um, she had like a four hour evaluation. It was supposed to be six, but she was too little. Are they seen enough? I mean, she had a whole team of people watching her. They were psychologists, developmental pediatricians. I don't even know who all these people, there was like six of them. They were all, they had like a two-way mirror. So they were like watching through the mirror and they had one person come in and they, same thing, all the questions and they, you know, did puzzles with her and did different things with her. And they kind of observed her in the room with just me and her father and her. They kind of took her and did some kind of motor things in the hallway. They had like a little thing that you walked on, and you know, all this different stuff. And, and it's like you said, they don't really give you an inkling. You know what I mean? Like in my head, I'm not thinking autism because she was just too cute. <laughs> it's like, and from what it said now, like when you, when you looked up the description on like online, it was like, just a very cold, dark description. It was not anything I just that, like, always picture your Googling back then, Kimmy, to be like, ask Jeeves. <laughs> yeah, it was like, um, more like a, we didn't have Wikipedia, but it was more Search similar engines. to like, yeah. like an encyclopedia, like definitions. It wasn't like websites and kind of you Facebook groups. It was nothing like that. You would, could research on different things, but they would be, it was very medical. It wasn't like what it is now. We left in obviously she had autism that when we went back they were like you know because we were already working see we were working with early intervention already before she was diagnosed so I think that's what really helped us she was already getting OT she was like mm -hmm. supposed to be getting speech but they only had one speech therapist for like 50 communities so like that we were trying to get that but we were already like on the list to get that so we we're already getting a lot of the things that they would recommend if you're diagnosed except for ABA. So they early in intervention went and they set up the, like, I didn't have to do anything. They set up the school system stuff. They set up the ABA. I mean, honestly, I didn't know what ABA was. They were just like, you, you should get ABA. That's the only thing that's, you know, proven that works, that helps kids with autism um, until she can, cause she couldn't go to the preschool until she was three. She had turned two in April and she was diagnosed in July. And then um, she started with a half a day at school when she, so she did the ABA for that, for that, like, from the summer to the following um, April when she turned three. And that was kind of, it was in-home services. They didn't have ABA centers. It was just a person came and, you know, they worked on all the things, you know, because like I said, as time rolled on, more and more things, her eye contact stopped her, just her eating, like all that stuff, everything kind of came to like a, a head basically. But we had the people around us at the time who were somewhat knowledgeable that could kind of help with some of the stuff. And the ABA, I mean, she didn't like that very much. But. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, did anyone else have like a team? Like, I is that like a past thing because it was so long ago? We had a team. You had a there team. There was like an just... entire troop of people. And then like, more the would be coming diagnosis, and going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like how you had, you said you had like a psychologist, like they all observed her. I'll say we had that through the school. I'll give them that for the school. We had like the speech. We yeah. Had we had that through the school, through the school, but our oh, diagnosis, so very... if we had gone through the developmental pediatrician or the fact we went to school, it was one person. It's interesting too, because I had never heard of an educational diagnosis until I started talking to you guys or like started mm -hmm. talking to people from Coop Strip. I, I was like, what? I'd have never even heard of this. So I, I guess here, you wouldn't really do that if you had a child that was severe. You wouldn't need that. But you need that if you have a child who's, when they open up their criteria, because there are so many diagnoses that are, you know, kids that can do reading and writing and, you know, be in regular classrooms. You don't necessarily get services just because you have the medical diagnosis with autism. But like for somebody like Alyssa, they wouldn't have to get it. 
an educational diagnosis and a medical one. They would just need the medical one. So it's, it's very interesting. And here um, we, we don't have, I don't, we didn't do an educational diagnosis either in Minnesota, but we still have to qualify. Like Celie has to show that she's autistic enough yeah. for each program every That's time Arizona we go anywhere. Yeah. And, and so like, it is mind boggling yeah. to me because here you get a diagnosis, you get a diagnosis. You don't have to prove it every year. It's awful so, what you guys have to do. So we don't, okay. So I will say this and you guys probably do something similar. I wouldn't, it's not technically a school diagnosis, like the school. I mean, ours kind of is. In Colorado, they do the ADOS through the school. And I know most places don't do that. We don't. Yeah. And ours our don't. school district, actually. I don't know if other school districts do that. That's just my personal thing. They do the ADOS and it's kind of like a diagnosis, but they're not medically diagnosing your kid. It's just what we refer to it as. So if we hadn't done the like early intervention before to get Jesse into school with it, like we got him into preschool early because of it, like Jesse just did it again at school. I knew it was happening. They're like, Hey, we're doing an evaluation, but I wouldn't have known as much. Like I wouldn't have been there sitting through it because he did it in school. So like, so even the very se- severe kids have to do that here, but I'm sure it goes much quicker. Cause they're like, yeah, they need So this. I think what it, I think what it is here, it's if it, there's a question, if the medical autism means that they should be on educational plan and they need an educational autism diagnosis. That's what I don't is need. Too. So you don't need one if they're not going to question it. If it's very clear cut and they can really see that the people, the children need help and they're not cheap as cheap. Well, it, there's probably paperwork filled out at some point because the only reason they do it is to justify you getting these services for, special for your child, education. Yeah. special education services because the government pays for it. So the taxpayer's yeah. mm-hmm. paying for it. We have to prove that our kids fall under the umbrella of autism for their IEP and their med evaluation. So Mm -hmm. even though both of my children have a autism diagnosis, Mm -hmm. we have to prove that they meet the qualifications for special education services under the umbrella of autism and not something else like developmental delay. For us, you can either have, well, for Celie, she could either have the autism diagnosis or a mental health focus diagnosis, or there's something like complex medical. And that would be like seizures, diabetes, like there's other stuff that fits within that. So she has to qualify every three years for that one. It's just so interesting because then the state of Minnesota for her waiver which is not even the state, it's the county, because nothing can be straight and clear. Okay. (laughs) We talk a lot about silos on this podcast and this kind of crap just makes me so frustrated because again, back to that track story, you know, it's like these people qualify this way, then it's this option, not necessarily what's best. Right now we're trying to get into the process of having a residential placement for Sealy, which I'm hoping that we don't need to utilize, but we got to start. And all of this hinges on the fact that she is referred by way of the children's mental health caseworker, which is then supported by the county, which is then paid for by the state. And it's like each layer and level of that, these stupid words on these silly forms is going to be what helps them choose my daughter's path to help. Yeah. Not necessarily that that's the right fit for her, but what they're willing to pay for, or, you know, it's just all such a convoluted mess. It's just really hard with like, why I was saying about Kimmy having a team. I'm jealous that like people took the time to like 
observe her and get to know her and see her do like I mean the person who did Jesse's evaluation was a very nice person and she was explaining things and all this stuff but like she didn't know Jesse and I wish that was more part of the process is like for all these things it's like mm-hmm. can we have a process where someone observes my kid more than like in a one hour mm-hmm. three hour time where they're in a very uncomfortable situation yes yeah, well, it's like, funny, Jamie. Earlier you said something about, I don't know if it was when we were recording or not, about um just autism isn't it was enough, and then it wasn't enough, now it's enough. And it's funny because when she was di- diagnosed, she had autism. She qualified for everything. That's all that one word got her Open everything, got her determined to have a disability, got her into the schools, got her ABA. Like it, it was like autism. Okay, check. Now it's on. Like now I'm like, well, she has autism. They're like, and I'm like, and she has autism and it depends on your state but I think what they're they're saying just autism isn't always enough because the parameter of what autism is is so wide yeah that it used to be you know what I mean it used Mm -hmm. to not be a lot of these people that are verbal and that are you know maybe that were Asperger's and maybe that were like other diagnoses that were like not under well they didn't call it autism spectrum disorder then but it, it wasn't necessarily autism but they would say oh you have autism characteristics or you have pdd or you just have global developmental delay there was like other diagnoses that you got but it wasn't autism so if you got autism then it was like you got all the services in when Alyssa think- was 15 we went from three years old to 15 and I got these letters with all this nonsense proving that she's disabled. And I'm like, what? So I made a thousand phone calls and stayed on hold for a thousand hours. And I'm like, what is this? And they're like, oh, you have to prove that she's still disabled. I'm like, she has autism. That's what doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So, it doesn't so go away. Like, it scientifically does not go away. So you have to do it every three years. And I'm like, well, she hasn't done it since she's been three and she's 15. So I don't, I don't know. Like, what you is, guys are talking about over so then here. we had to do it again three years later when she turned 18 once you're deemed disabled as an adult in massachusetts at 18 you don't have to do the every three years then then you're finally disabled for life yeah, yeah that's it you, doesn't change that. hasn't gone away by 18 so now we go the and, number. You know. but we'll talk about this in later episodes how people talking about cures or people talking about it not being a disability like that's an issue when it comes to children like ours getting services and help like mm-hmm. you can't grow out of this well you know? this is 25 like i was gonna make a to joke go- and say we can go get a cure now <laughs> and, still <get laughs> right? and still get all the stuff oh my child yeah. i don't know the difference yeah. Is it autistic oh. anymore? I didn't know. Everybody, do. that's a joke. That's just a joke. Don't come for Kimmy <laughs> on the internet. But we do not believe in Isaac, cures no, over I here. To no, we don't. We don't. We believe uh, hope, love, and helping your kids. Yes. Believing yes. in your kids. But there's no meaning in your kids. I just want to wrap up by saying my biggest pieces of advice. If you're a mom listening to this because it's been recommended that you get an evaluation or you're nervous about doing it you're afraid of the label I just want to say like personally for me I'm gonna cry like I always do it took every ounce of me to make every single one of those phone calls I hate I hate even making appointments for myself I hate that stuff and you have to call a lot of people you leave a voicemail and then you have to wait for them to call you back and then no one picks up the phone you have to leave voicemails especially in the pandemic but it was so hard for me to do and I just want to acknowledge to you that it is a process for you and your child Mm -hmm. yes and just get the evaluation. And I know a lot of people will say that to you. You're going to grieve whether you publicly acknowledge that or not. It's okay. Just cry with us on Mondays. Yes. Go get, go through it. 
You're both going to be going through this at the same time. And if it is autism, you need that label. You need that diagnosis to get your child help. And you may go in and they may just say, we're not sure yet, but we're going to get you an early intervention. We're going to start helping your child. And that's amazing. And that's great. You never Mm -hmm. know what's going to happen. So just put yourself out there, get your child evaluated and it will be okay. And listen to us or find a support group with people who are like-minded with you. And that's going to be the biggest help for you is finding other parents. They're going to help you find the resources. They're going to help you deal with your emotions and it will be okay. And if they're not, those aren't your people. Those are not your people. If they're not supporting you, they're not your peeps. They're not. And if people are hinting at things under the surface, it's probably because they can't say out loud that they think your child might have autism, but they are hinting that you should get an evaluation. So, and the label doesn't change your kid. It really does not change your kid. Your kid is who they are. Yes. The label changes your ability to help them. Yes. It opens the door for all of it. And I can say as I run a daycare, so I can say as somebody in the early childhood education field that we are not allowed to say, hey, we see some red flags or autism. We think there's a possibility your child could have autism. We are not, even if we think it, even if, and not, even if you know it, we're not allowed to say it. Yeah. Early intervention is not allowed to say it. I can say, oh, we have some concerns. Um, you know, you maybe you should talk to your pediatrician, kind of stuff like that, but we can't come out and say it. So I think I hear from a lot of parents say, oh, well, daycare didn't say anything his teacher didn't say anything we got Um, kicked out before people would say stuff and and I felt like I was alone and until you told me just tonight that you can't I had been pissed like felt a responsibility on behalf of all of the people that never told us like how dare you and because you're not trained so we're not trained in special education we're not you know we're not psychologists we're not medical that is why we're not supposed to do that. I don't know who's supposed to be telling people, you know, but apparently I think nobody the table for I have somebody who came into my daycare. They were having another baby on the way. And she told me she had some concerns. I told her about my daughter and we got to chatting and she was very open about it. Um, and she is seeking a diagnosis for her son and they're giving her a hard time because he's little he's he's just now turning two but all the bells and whistles are there and I told her I said call your pediatrician and you tell them that you want a referral for an evaluation and she came back and said oh it worked I said don't ask sometimes you gotta tell sometimes a release of information an anti-chemial call (laughs) yeah (laughs) if they're worried if they bring somebody too young they might may not get diagnosed yet but honestly unless you live some miraculous place that I don't know about. Like if you're going to a developmental pediatrician, there's going to be a waiting list. So yep. you're probably thinking at least four, six, eight months, maybe even a year. If by the Just time that appointment rolls around, you get. don't have any concerns anymore, then you don't have to go to the appointment. Give but it to the next person who is waiting. Get the referral. The other thing about getting resources and Tab's kind of alluded to this and Kimmy kind of is now too. You can be on so many lists. You should know the number of lists Seeley Flanagan is on. Okay. We are not like, this is not applying for two colleges and then going to see. This is like, she's at every ABA center. They have a file that says Seeley Flanagan. There is respite providers that no longer provide respite services that have Seeley Flanagan's name. 
I would love to be called by a center. Like maybe one day there will be a call from a center that says like, Hey, Rachie, we've got the spot for you. And I get to hang up on them and say, she's in such a great fit right now. We don't even need your business. Mm-hmm. Call the next person. They've been, yeah, waiting. they've Go been call. waiting. Yeah. They, she's, cr- she's going to cry in three minutes, but call Jan down the street. She needs get on all the lists. Like, don't feel like, okay, I'm in a path. This is going to work. I mean, I am here to tell you sometimes it doesn't sign up for it all. I mean, for me, it was like a slow roll. I was in denial. A lot of things take it one day at a time call an ABA center once a week or still to this day, I hand things off to my husband. If you have a partner or significant other, someone that can make a call every once in a while, make them do it. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Hope this was helpful. Hope this was helpful. <laughs> we hope this was helpful. people. Not, next episode. Very exciting. We have an interview with our friend Kate Swinson from finding Cooper's voice all about her new book. That's coming out pretty soon called forever boy so make sure you guys tune in for that and we have a lot more coming on autism this month so we'll be here thanks everyone thank you thank you thank you for joining us at the table for episode one of our 10th series all about autism if you are enjoying the podcast and what you're listening allows we would appreciate if you can rate and review us make sure to follow us on facebook and instagram if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at tableforfivepodcasts at gmail.com. We have new episodes every Monday. Join us next week for episode two, an interview with Kate Swinson on her new book, Forever Boy. We'll see you there. Bye.